Welcome to the Fast Lane. Nick Miles is our auto expert. So drop it into gear. You've got a green flag. Here's Nick. Welcome to this week's show. It's uh, Nick and Megan this week, Kana, our auto expert. Uh, Megan, what have you been up to? Like, you've been in Mexico. Yeah, I've been all over the place. But yeah, I was just in Quintana Roo, which is Cancun, Playa what, Carmen. There's a place called Quintana Roo. Quintana Roo. Quintana Roo. But it's, it's Cancun. Is it? Quintana Roo sounds like a character out of a Disney movie. It also Why sounds my name like is a state Quintana Roo. Oh, God. <laughs> I'm Quintana Roo. I'm a peacock and I'm very, very posh. You're a confused person. I am. Uh, what's Quintana Roo famous for? Cancun. <laughs> right. So, so I saw pictures of your two sons in an ATV. Uh, one of the sons looked like he was about to die. The other one had a big smile on his yeah, face. Yeah, so we did we, we did all adventure stuff while we were down there. So we went to this really cool place called Silvatica, and it's like an adrenaline. You, you're you doing crazy zip lines, and part of it was they would let you ride ATVs through this, what they call their mud track. And, I mean, they are regulating you, but we could really go for it. And they wouldn't let us on ATVs, but they would let, no, it, as long as you're 18, they would let you drive that Um Look, it was a quad. It was like yeah, yeah. it's like a dune buggy, like yeah, a yeah, yeah. And so more of a, it is still an ATV, but it's more like a car. It was so great though because um, the kids have never really had an off-roading experience with me before, so it was it was neat to watch Noah hang because man, he was really going for it. I mean, he was drifting like he did really good. And of course, Jonah's just hanging on screaming. I mean, and then Eden was riding with me, and she's just like, "Slow down, slow down." Oh, like, she's the scaredy cat. She hated. She really? didn't hate it, but she's just like, "Are you crazy?" Yeah, so. well, you you are crazy, and like they, but they know that. Yeah, it you're, was. It you're was, the only mom that kids have to give a talking to. <laughs> That's probably true, actually. But and then a couple of days later, we got to kind of do a similar thing again, which I haven't posted any of the footage for that. But we got to offer jeeps at a place called Explore, and again, so we got to go through one track, and it was really cool. But then there's a longer track, so then we got to do even more and. Um, I think that was that ended up being one of Noah's favorite things. Really? Yeah. Yeah, he's a eighteen year old boy. They tend to like things with gas pedals and loud yeah. and yeah, muddy. But Eden Eden had seen video footage of when I was at Explore last year right. without her and um on the course there was some water and I thought it's gonna be super shallow. So I just plowed into it and of course it just comes up, it completely covers us. Like I'm covered, I'm soaking wet in mud, head to toe, like because it was very deep and I didn't realize it. So every time we were about to hit water, she's like, no, mom, no. Like, it Is was... there pictures of that? You covered in mud? Yeah. Oh, God, I can't wait to see Well, that. I have a picture of like this this huge, like it looks like a wave coming over the car. So that it sounds like it and your kids are going to, um, how are they ever going to live, you know, without you? Because when, when they're grown up and they have to do adult things, they can't go and goof off in Cancun for the week with their mom. That's true. It's a school week. To, oh, is it spring break? It, it was spring break, yeah. We spent spring break down there doing different stuff, so. Oh, that, I mean, that, at least that's nice. Yeah, it was super fun. Um, like I said, we did a ton of adventure stuff. So. If we want to um, see some of that stuff that you wrote and uh, some of the pictures and stuff, where am I going to go to do that? Go to mommytravels.net. All right. Uh, that sounds like fun. Um, have you found your son a car yet? No, so I've come super close. Um, I've narrowed it down, I think, to probably two. And so I'm either getting him the brand new Nissan Rogue with the yeah. ProPilot technology Which is what you always it. wanted, isn't it? That's what you wanted to get him. You've yes. Been, you've been saying that for a long time. You know, as soon as I drove that, I drove that car um, just a few months before it was released to the public, I think. And um, man, I was super impressed. I mean, as soon as I drove it, I was like, this is it. Um, but since then, Subaru has come out with 
some new technology on their Forester. Yeah. And I have not driven that car yet. Oh. So I need to this go test drive. I'm thinking about putting my dad in a Forester because in as he gets older, he's not as sharp as he used to be. He used to be like the totally sharpest guy on the planet. And he's not, his reaction times aren't as quick and this sort of thing. And so uh, I'm, I constantly worry about him driving. And I think, I feel like a Forester is something that he's going to, uh, you know, one of the things it has is it has that eyesight. Mm-hmm. Um, it has facial recognition. It can see if you're, you know, not paying attention to the road and that sort of thing. And it also tells you when the car in front of you pulls away. And my dad's the sort of guy where he has to look at me when he talks to me because his hearing isn't as good. So he turns to oh, face gosh. me when I'm a passenger, <laughs> uh, usually at a stoplight, but the car in front of him pulls away and I'm like, dad dad unlike my other half it's like the light change i says i was watching it unfortunately i can't accelerate that fast away from the you light. know you know what's funny about like when you're at a stoplight yeah one time i was i was riding in the car and i happened to have a firefighter in the car and a police officer and they said that they There's always a whole story there somewhere they, but we'll say they that. always wait for someone else to go first because they said the worst accidents they ever see are the people that take off right away at the at the stoplight and somebody runs it and just plows into them. Yeah. So, and ever since then, I kind of sit there and I'm like, I kind of wait for somebody else to go and then I go. Really? That's it. I didn't know that. Plus, I drive like an old lady, so whatever. I'll have to, I'll have to call uh, um, my friend James Musen from uh, Gresham Pleats. Verify and ask, this information. Uh, yeah, well, you know, and just double check that uh, he does the same thing. Yeah, I've, I've driven with him. He's a great driver. We had a lot of fun. I guess uh, I could give a shout out to him. They're Portland people. All right. Oh. They are? Yeah, John Durr, he works at the Portland Fire Department, uh-huh. and uh, Tom Worthy, he's uh, Oregon State Police. All right. Well, at least they must know what they're doing. Um, so back to the sun car thing. Uh, so you, you're thinking about the Forester, and but you have another huge problem, don't you? Getting your ex on board with this. Yes, that is an ongoing issue. So because I want him to pay for half of the car. Right. And I'm a... I maybe know a little bit more about cars than that must be the very, other one. That must be very difficult for for your ex because you're a car person and you're on a car radio show and you do test drives and you drive cars in Mexico, and <laughs> uh, and yet you know. And I don't want to be a know-it-all, but I know what I'm you talking are. about. <laughs> I don't want to be a know-it-all, but I am a know-it-all. Just to be clear, I know 200 percent more than you. <laughs> hey, and you're single, right? I am single. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know why. Did you tell Jeez. Him, yeah. What, could, tell it, what hey, could it be? Hi, honey. I love you. And you're stupid. <laughs> <laughs> See ya. Uh, so well, when, when is the, when's the big decision? Because Noah just turned 18, your son. Yes. So I, it's, I'm trying to make a decision. So okay. I have Tax eight days day. left. You're trying to make a decision as soon as possible? Yes. All right. Yeah. Honestly, I would have made the decision a couple of weeks ago. But... Like I said, the other one's not on board yet, the other parent. And uh, yeah, so we'll see how that goes. You know what's super weird, though? What? I just, um, we, so I talked to the dealership. I'm the one that picked out the car. I'm the one that knows about all the technology. Yeah. But then I sent my ex-husband down there to check it out. Yeah. And who do you think they want to talk to now? Him. Yep. Because he's an easy mark. And all of a sudden, I'm cut out of the conversation. I'm like, well, wait a minute. Now, wait a minute. I'm the primary decision maker here. Like, you, you can't... could just, you could just very, you know what I do? I'm super honest with dealers. They much prefer it that way. You say, by the way, if you talk to my husband, you're not getting anywhere because I'm the decision maker. 80% of cars in America are bought on the permission of a woman. Did you know that? I didn't, but it makes a lot of sense to me. Yeah. Probably time for us to take a break. We'll be right back. Keep listening. More of our auto expert with Nick Miles is coming up. 
Start your engines and you're off. Back to our auto expert with Nick Miles. Well, if you uh, you know watch YouTube videos and uh, entertain by car videos, you'll know that uh, the biggest channel on YouTube for trucks is the fast lane uh, truck or the fast lane uh, car stroke truck. Uh, Roman Micah is the purveyor of all things big truck. Uh, Roman, uh, welcome to the show. You have your annual awards, the Golden Hitch Awards, and uh, they have become quite an industry standard, haven't they? Yeah, you know, we've kind of uh, taken the bull by the horn, so to speak, and uh, we uh, do some really great uh, truck testing here in Colorado. We're lucky enough to live in a place with uh, big mountains and good, uh, good roads, so we get to take trucks and load them up as heavy as they'll go and drive them up uh, to the top of the Eisenhower Tunnel and see how they tow. A lot of truck awards are really people who have no idea about trucks, who get in them, drive them around a course for 20 minutes, and then decide whether it should be the truck of the year. And with you, it's much more of a mathematical game, isn't it? Yeah, you know, I mean, we pride ourselves on what we call, you know, real-world testing and real-world reviews. So we actually go out and use the trucks the way that truck buyers use them. So obviously... Trucks for many people aren't just transportation, they're tools, right? They're the biggest tool in your toolbox. And uh, so we use them as tools and we find out how they do you know, towing up big mountain grades and how they do hauling heavy loads down big mountain grades. Uh, and that's kind of the ultimate test of a truck because we're starting at, gosh, 9,000 feet above sea level. So that stresses out the engine. And we tow all the way up to about 12,000 feet above sea level. So I don't think there's a tougher uh, truck towing test than the one that we do at least. The the interesting thing is, too, trucks are, used to be just uh, work vehicles. But as, I guess, time has evolved, families are using them as their general everyday workday vehicle. Uh, the Ram 1500, perfect example of that. Uh, they have made the interior something along the kin to a luxury car on the inside. Uh, trucks sort of evolving as time goes on. America, one out of four trucks is sold in Texas. Uh, and in Texas, the truck has long been kind of the family, literally, truckster, right? It's been the vehicle you take to church on Sunday, you take to work on Monday. Uh, and that has become more so throughout the entire country. And I think that's because... Out of all the things, out of all the vehicles that we make in America, uh, the one that's still truly American is the pickup truck, right? We've kind of lost, to some extent, luxury cars to the Germans. We've lost economy cars, at least the leading economy cars to the Japanese. But nobody does trucks like we do. Uh, interesting enough, Megan, I, I noted that you drive a minivan, not a truck, and you're from Texas. I know. It makes me really sad every day. <laughs> I try to visualize myself in a truck. You do? When you're yeah. in a minivan? Yes. Okay. That that that, that way I feel badly. like less of a loser. Uh, you know. You know. You know, Megan. You could you could easily get a truck that seats six, right? You could throw your kids in there. You know, it's funny that you say that. I actually looked at that truck. And what the Ram fifteen hundred? Yeah. And and what you're still driving a minivan? What I mean, happened? I think, I think there's a really good chance that I'll buy a truck. I know I'd like to put Noah in a truck, but they just don't quite have the safety features that I want yet. Yeah. A lot of trucks. A lot of times, uh, Roman are exempt from the feature, the safety features, and fuel economy that cars are they're exempt from, or not it, exempt from. Right? Here's what happened. I had very small children. I had three children in car seats at the same time. Do you know how difficult it is to put a car seat in a truck? No. It's well, of course you don't. Anyway, I don't, I don't have kids. I have dogs. It's easy to put well, a dog well, harness in a well, truck. Megan, it, it depends if you're putting them in the cab or in the bed. I guess. Yeah. So you should have put them in the bed. Put them in the back. Put bungee cords in <laughs> the in the. That's illegal. But Actually, <laughs> she, she makes a good point. You know, uh, while pickup trucks are great for hauling and towing, uh, they, they, you know, a minivan is still much easier for 
moving uh, kids and, and animals and such around. But it's getting better. You know, today's truck has probably many of the safety features uh, that most modern cars have now. Uh, they're quickly catching up. Things like blind spot monitoring, all that stuff is coming to trucks because people are using them as family trucksters and they are demanding it, just like Megan said. Yeah, and it's really nice to see them add those features. I know if I did move back to Texas, I probably would either buy a truck or a very large SUV just because that is the car of choice for most of the state. And just imagine if you got hit and you're in a small car. Yeah, it so. doesn't work. Yeah, yeah, it doesn't work. I get it. Roman, where are you in the Golden Hitch Awards testing for this year? Well, we're done, Nick. We just uh, did our awards. You're calling at a perfect time. So Who won? We, ran, we did all of them. We did, yeah. I'll tell you, we ran all of the uh, full-size trucks. Those are the one-tons, right? So we're talking about the most popular trucks in the land, and those include uh, the Toyota Tundra, the Nissan Titan, the um, Ram 1500, the Ford F-150, and, of course, the Chevy Silverado. Uh, and after all of our testing, which was really significant uh, on the world's toughest towing test the ram 1500 took it this year uh which is yeah. interesting because it comes on the breaking news that ram now are the second best-selling uh, tra- vehicle period in america aren't they being recalled, yeah yeah though? they caught up to ford i mean they caught up to chevy and uh surpassed them it's pretty crazy yeah and it, it, are you surprised that ram took this to do is now the second best-selling vehicle in north america no, those guys, you know, those guys have always been scrappy and they've always done kind of the most with the least amount of money. Uh, and uh, there's two things that happen there. The interior on the new Rams is, oh, my gosh, it's, you know, it's, it's world class. They've really upped the game. You sit in that thing and you could be sitting in any luxury car um, that, that produced, right? They've added a huge 12-inch screen, so you kind of feel like you've got the latest tech. Uh, uh, and they've really made the truck much more comfortable and much more luxurious. It's got this massive sunroof, uh, and they've kept, you know, the, the the thing that made it a good truck. They still have the Hemi, so it still tows really well. Uh, it still hauls really well. Um, yeah, and, and Chevy had some missteps recently. Their designs have been, well, let's call it controversial. No, all right. I like the way you're going with that, but everyone knows what you really mean, Roman. Uh, and, and then uh, Ford has been, you know, sort of the number one truck for so long. Um, they haven't really changed it a lot, have they? I mean, because change it could be causing, you know, buyers a problem, I guess. I, you know, I think Ford, Nick, from my experience, Ford is beyond ultra competitive. The F-150 is the truck that is basically the goose that laid the golden egg for Ford, and they know it. Uh, and they will not allow anybody to come within sniffing distance of what they're doing. So the second that they think that somebody is, you know, upping their game, they up theirs as well. Uh, they're hyper competitive. They're in the truck market to win it. Uh, and when you look at their offerings in the F-150, they actually have uh, six different powertrains that you can get in the F-150. And you compare that to Ram, they only have two, basically. They have a, a V8 and a V6. Ford offers six. That's a lot. It's an awful lot. Uh, interestingly enough, we, we both spent time um, on the Jeep Gladiator um, event together. And, uh, um, you know, with all the journalists, and I know that Andre went for uh, the fast lane truck, but I mentioned to Jeep, you know, why didn't they take the Gladiator, which is their new truck, and just box the back in and make a extra-large SUV? And uh, they went very quiet on me, and uh, they said, well, we kind of have that already in the Wrangler. I said, no, this one is so much bigger and longer than Wrangler. You could easily get a third row there in the back. And they shut up a lot. Yeah. And so I started yeah, to think maybe the they're doing coming, it. Dude, you know yeah. That. yeah, but I think the wagon, well, the Wagoneer was probably going to be a bit bigger. I think, isn't it going to be based off the 1500 more? You know, it's hard. We've seen some spy shots um, of the Wagoneer now. 
Um, and, you know, they're building, I think they're building two different models. There's the one for China that we're running around, and then, of course, there's the one for America coming. So they have confirmed that there will be a Wagoneer. Uh, will it be based on the 1500? I don't know. That's a good question. Um, I, I think I'm reading a lot when I talked to Scott Talon from Jeep, and he went very quiet when I mentioned it. it I think he, I caught him off guard a little bit, and he wasn't quite ready for that. And uh, they, just, they just sort of glossed over the whole thing. Uh, what new trucks can we expect coming up that might be in the Golden Hitch Awards next year? Well, you know, you actually brought up a really two things. You brought up a really good point there. So, you know, while we don't know exactly what the Wagoneer does or won't do, we do know that the Jeep platform for the Gladiator would also be a very good platform for a Ram mid-sized truck, right? So Ram used to have the Dakota. It went away. Uh, and the mid-sized trucks right now are red hot, Nick. You know, Ford has a new one, the Ranger. Jeep has a new one. So there's a lot of speculation that Gladiator will become the platform for a new uh, Ram Dakota. So right. that one is definitely over the horizon and not that far down the road. Did you? Uh, and this year for the Gold Hitch, we're doing the heavy duty trucks, dude. So uh, that means the the new HDs, the Super Duties, and the 2500. But did you do yes, the mid exactly. say, I'm sorry, I didn't hear you. Did you test out the mid size trucks that you just mentioned? No, no, mid size trucks are all new, so we're still going to do those. And when I say this year, I mean when we say this year, we mean the 2020 trucks. So we're always working a year ahead. So we just awarded the 2019s, and now we're working on the 2020 heavy duty trucks. Roman, if people want to go to uh, somewhere and see all the videos that you did in the testing, where do they go? Yeah, check out uh, tfltruck.com. Uh, just type in Gold Hitch, uh, and you'll see all of us uh, zipping up and down Eisenhower Tunnel and testing trucks till the cows come in. So, yeah, check it out. It's, it's a fun test, and I think people enjoy watching them. All right. Well, how much is your fuel bill just to do the Golden Hitch Award? <laughs> It's a lot, Nick. It's going to get heavier with the heavy-duty trucks. Roman Micah from the Fast Lane Truck and the Fast Lane Car. Always a pleasure to have you on the show. Stay tuned. There's more to come with Nick Miles. Jump right in and put the pedal to the floor. Our auto expert with Nick Miles continues. Welcome back to the show. I am joined on this week's show with Megan, uh, Megan from mummytravels.net. We have been talking on and off about buying your son a car because obviously this is a big step for you as a mum. Why do you want to buy him a new car? I want to buy a new car because of just all the new safety technology that is on the market. I mean... The, the, the stuff that has come to market in the last couple of years is just phenomenal. You know, you, it, physics, you cannot overcome physics. If you buy him a big truck, a super big truck, the physics of his protection is going to be much higher. Well, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I, I have thought about that, but um, he, has a me- he, has a me- he has a medical condition. So right. uh, when I think about what I want to put him in, I'm not just thinking about him. I'm also thinking about the other drivers. So. Oh, wow. So that's kind of a different... You're a conscientious mom. Most people, are, you know, it's all about them, all about their kids. Well, um, and, it, and, and as it should be. I mean, your job as a parent is to protect them, love them, raise them. What's you know? he doing for this car? Is he going to have any, like, is he going to earn money? Is he paying his insurance, his gas? You know, because if you get handed a free car, but you've got three kids, you're going to be broke by the time the last one gets a drive. Like four years when Jonah, the little one, gets a driving license. Well, um, he doesn't have a job, so, because he could not drive. But now he can drive, so he is looking for a job. So. so is he going to buy his own insurance, insurance, or is he going to buy his own gas? Oh, I'm sure he'll buy his own gas. Right. 
I don't know about insurance. I mean, he is also going to college, so. Yeah, no, I know it's tough. It's the same time that my mom and dad, I guess they did hand me a car, but they didn't pay for any of it. They gave me the car and that was it. It was, and it was secondhand. Uh, you said to me in the break that you were thinking about putting in a McLaren and I, you had to pick me up off the floor on that one. So I, I read the wildest article and I'm trying to find it. Um, it was basically written by another auto journalist and he said that he was on a drive and they were driving the McLaren through California. And the other journalists basically drove them off of a cliff and they were airborne and they both walked away without injuries. Yeah, well, I guess it uh, tends to be how big the cliff is, though, isn't it? Well, they said it had more to do with the car because I guess they are they make the Formula One race cars. Is that true? Yeah. And so they essentially made this cavity. I don't know what to call it, that they that the race car driver sits in. What, What would you call that? Uh, the cabin. The cabin, okay. Yeah. And that their cabin is just phenomenal because they had to protect their race car driver and to put that same technology into their vehicles. And so when I read this and the guy said he walked away from this incredible accident and he had like a scrape, I was like, well, wait a minute. Maybe I should get him a McLaren. It seems that if you Google McLaren going off a cliff, there seems to be many, many situations of McLarens going off a cliff. A $385,000 McLaren being uh, wrecked. Yes, one of the things that, of course, McLaren want to do is when they design their vehicles, they want to make sure you're protected. So if you do happen to unfortunately go off the edge of a cliff in the car, uh, they want the injuries to be as less as possible. I guess. And so, I, I mean, and with that said, if he was in a normal car, it wouldn't be able to go so fast that you might accidentally drive yourself off of a cliff. All right, let's just put some things in perspective here for you, Megan. <laughs> you know the starting price of uh, 720S? Like $215,000? 385000 oh. Just, you know, um, probably more. That's, that's actually about what my house is worth. <laughs> so, you know, that's a good start. Uh, do you know how fast they go? Super fast. Zero to 60 in under two seconds. That's amazing. Uh, that, is <laughs> that is phenomenal. That is phenomenal. 18-year-old boy, McLaren, trouble. I didn't say I was actually, I, I just kind of threw it out there. We were, off, we were off the air when I said this. He's totally throwing me under the bus, people. Well, like, yeah, my mom wouldn't, I got a Datsun 120Y. What was your first car, by the way? Oh, gosh, my first car was a 1986 Honda Civic hatchback with no air conditioning, and I lived in Odessa, Texas, which is West Texas, and it is so hot. That's no. like... Some sort of daily punishment to put someone in a car with no AC in West Texas. Uh, you know, I will tell you at the same time, it's very, someone's ringing the phone in the studio. I'm completely ignoring it. Uh, at the same time, is you have a history of Hondas, don't you? I drive a Honda now, yeah. Uh, is that your second Honda or did you have more than two? No, that's my second one. Um, I also had a Dodge Neon. Yes. And I had a Ford Explorer, which is what Noah drives right now. Right. That's not bad. Uh, the Dodge Neon. Uh, I mean, everybody had one. I think they made more of those cars than anything else. Hey, but wait a minute. So, wait, what was the the Dodge Neon technology eventually went into the... Avenger? On, Avenger? Oh, I don't know. The Dodge no. Avenger was after the Neon. I don't know. Never Journey? mind. Googling it now. <laughs> this is Megan throwing things out in the middle of the show. I'm just, just making make stuff up. up. Yeah, just make it up, Megan. Let, let's just switch back to travel something I know more about. <laughs> <laughs> hey, did you have a car while you were in Mexico? I didn't, actually. Um... We used either public transportation or private transportation. It always makes me smile. I have a big smile on my face when I go to Mexico and I see all the little cars that we don't get in the United States. You know what? That's so funny that you say that because Eden said, what's a Suzuki? 
We no. saw a Suzuki down there. No, she didn't know what it was. No, she had never seen a Suzuki, which is surprising because I swear when we were in Thailand or Australia, we, we definitely saw yeah. cars it, that we don't normally see. They got see out of America, what, five, six years ago? Oh, what? You found it? The Dodge Neon SRT. Oh, yeah. All right. You still haven't redeemed yourself. We're going to take a break. Stay tuned. More of Our Auto Expert with Nick Miles is on the way. Our Auto Expert continues. Here's your host, Nick Miles. Welcome back to the show. Uh, Our Auto Expert with Nick and Megan. Uh, When you have decided what to buy Noah, will you let me test drive it? Yeah, of course. Uh, And maybe I could give Noah some driving tips. I think you should buy him uh, a Jeep Trackhawk, the car I took you all guys for a ride in. Remember that one? Oh my, I don't know about that. I don't want him to have that kind of power. An 18-year-old with 707 horsepower? What's wrong with you? Gee, I don't know. Um, (laughs) You know, I was in Sacramento recently and we went to test drive uh, the new Jeep Gladiator, which which is is the truck. The Jeep's brand new truck, much awaited uh, new truck. Uh, Brandon from Jeep is on the phone with us. Uh, welcome to the show. So um, have you sold, I know you sold out of the special edition that you announced, Brandon. Uh, how's How are the rest of the sales going? So yeah, we sold every single one of our 4,190 Gladiator launch editions. Um, I think we actually sold them out in less than 24 hours. And then we're going to start selling, um, you know, the regular Gladiators, the Rubicons, the Overlands, the Sports. We're going to start selling those probably around May. That's when we expect them to start arriving in dealerships. You can order them now, though, right? You can go into your Jeep dealer and order them? Uh, you can't order them right now. Oh. Um, we're not actually going to be available for or open for ordering until the first week in May. Because um, Scott Talon your marketing director or marketing manager from Jeep was trying to encourage me to buy one of the special editions and I was like my biggest problem with buying special editions is I like to put a lot of things on these vehicles and then you kind of deface it a little bit because I know the purists want it left in the same condition that you purchased especially a special edition um, and then that's that really speaks to what Jeep do isn't it because you guys are all about doing vehicles that you can uh, that you can add on to and you can up upfit um, since there's also 200 parts available for this at launch you know you look at Wrangler and you know our customers Wrangler customers love to customize their vehicles they love to uh, personalize them make them their own and we expect that we're going to see a similar dynamic on Jeep Gladiator. We expect a lot of customers, as soon as they get their hands on a new Gladiator, they're going to throw a two-inch lift on, some 35s, a winch, probably some off-road lights. Um, we expect to see a lot of customized Gladiators out there pretty soon. When when we were test driving it on the way to uh, the off-roading area, um, we had a guy in a highly customized Wrangler, a fairly old one, but very customized with a huge lift on it, uh, do a Yui in the road behind us and touch in behind us you know we pulled over he pulled over we pulled out he pulled out it was one of those things where they were leaning out the truck trying to take pictures of it it's quite it's caused the new gladiators caused quite a stir in the jeep community hasn't it you know we like to say or at least i like to say that the new gladiator is the most highly anticipated vehicle in the history of the automobile industry uh, because this is something that our diehard fans our our enthusiasts have been waiting for for almost three decades you know it's 27 years ago we we last had a Jeep pickup truck in the marketplace, and that was the Jeep Comanche in 1992. And you know, ever since Comanche went out of production, a new Jeep pickup is something our fans have just been craving for, and they haven't been shy about telling us that they want a new one. And it's, fi- it's finally here, uh, but uh, production of this, you know, it, it might be so well sought after. 24 hours to sell all of your 4,000 special edition versions. 
when it actually goes on sale in May, it, it's probably going to be a little bit like throwing chum into the into the ocean where there's sharks, right? It's it's not going to be long until the whole sea is swimming with people that want these vehicles. Oh yeah, I mean, early on the demand is going to be you know incredibly high, and the very first ones that hit dealerships are going to get snapped up right away. Um, you know, but if you're patient, you should be able to get your hands on one and. You know, we'll we'll build any special order um, that you want. Wait, wait. You live in America. You do realize that where we have no patience whatsoever. The, the <laughs> land of fast food and yeah, imme- yeah, immediate that's, that's, that's immediate true. satisfaction. But yeah, I mean, this is something our fans have been waiting for for thirty years. So if they do have a hard time, you know, getting one down at their local dealership, hopefully they can wait just a couple more months to finally get their hands on one. So let's let's talk about some of the specs for this vehicle. So first of all, on the exterior, when you look at the front, you can actually tell if you are so inclined and and such a Jeep freak, you can tell that it's uh, the front end is actually slight. The grille is slightly different than the Wrangler. Correct. Very very subtle. You know, we it this, the face is very much a Wrangler face, but we took the seven slots in the grille and we opened them up a little bit. We made them slightly taller, slightly wider, um, and then kind of the, the diamond mesh behind the slots, we actually open that up more. And what that does is it provides more airflow to the engine to help with cooling uh, to get to our 7,650 pounds max available towing on Gladiator. Now, uh, the sides are pretty much the same as the Gladiator until you get to the B-pillar, aren't they? Um, no, it's the yeah, same, roughly, same as the Wrangler, so sorry, yes. From the B-pillar B forward, um, there's a lot in common with Wrangler. And then really, once you get past the B-pillar, that's where you get into um, all the neat Gladiator stuff. And, of course, on the back end, um, we've got a ton of new stuff going on with the rear suspension. Um, you know, the, the rear suspension, the design was actually inspired by the Ram 1500 pickup truck rear suspension. So we actually took components, the... Uh, the rear control arms as well as the rear track bar are sourced directly from the Ram 1500 pickup. Um, and that just helps with our towing and our payload on Gladiator. In the bed, uh, I noticed there's a couple of hidden Easter eggs. You probably won't want to talk about this because I know you guys don't like to talk about the Easter eggs. But um, at the back of the bed, there's an Easter egg. On the side of the bed, there's an Easter egg. Um, is, is the bed got any other cool features apart from those Easter eggs? I'm not going to tell people what they are, but Jeep's famous for their Easter eggs, uh, hiding them. Uh, around the vehicle, I found three, by the way, uh, Easter eggs when I was uh, looking around the vehicle. That I mean, three, I mean, you, you three have really to, hidden ones. You have to tell us. No, now. no, you got to buy one. I'm not going to do it. <laughs> they actually, I found one that was really bizarre. I can tell you what it was, but I'm not telling you where it is. It was a pair of flip flops. So, oh yeah, yep, yeah. What? That one's really hard to find. You uh, gotta, you, you gotta, gotta just kind of catch it in the right light, from yep. the right angle. Otherwise, there's no way you're going to find it. And I also worked out what it meant. Uh, okay. Um, but, but, you know, if I tell, if I tell anybody what it is, it kind of ruins the whole thing of the Easter eggs, doesn't exactly, it? So you, exactly. You have, you have it's a history. That it's more fun when you, when it's a secret. And then once you find out, it's, it's that great aha moment, right? Yeah. You could type it into Google now. Usually you can type stuff into Google and come up with at least the pointers in the right directions. Like when the ones in the bed, you could type that into Google and you could, it would, you go, oh, I get it. Now you could put two and two together. Um, when did the Easter eggs start in Jeeps? Ooh, that's a great question. Um, you know, we've been doing it for quite a while, at least um, since 2012. Um, I 
I can't really think of any instances before then, but, you know, at least for the last seven, eight years, it's something that we've been, uh, you know, incorporating in all of our Jeep products. And some have more than others, right? Jeep Renegade has a ton of Easter eggs. And then the ones on Wrangler, the ones on Gladiator, they're, they're fewer and they're, they're a little bit more subtle, not quite as much in your face. The Renegade, uh, it had, I think it has a spider inside the gas tank. I remember seeing that one. Yeah, yeah, there, there, is, there is a spider inside the, the, uh, the fuel door. You yeah. mean That's like a picture one. of a spider? Yeah, like a motif of a spider. It's not a real spider. Why? Because your car comes with spiders. That'd be creepy. Yeah, you buy a car from a dealer and it comes with spiders embedded into it, real ones. No, nobody wants that. <laughs> why? Well, this is the whole point. You've got to work out why. If, if someone tells you why it has flip-flops on the vehicle or why it has a number written or why it has an imprint in a certain place or a spider in the gas tank, you've got to work out why. And the, you can find out. It's not too hard. But you know something? It keeps you entertained on those long journeys with three screaming kids in the back of the car. Seriously. <laughs> yeah, very true. <laughs> I'm just poking at Megan because she has three kids. They don't scream much. They're older now. They they they're, have on their headphones. They're listening. To, who knows what they're they listening to? They only scream when you drive. They don't even acknowledge that I'm speaking <laughs> to them. Yeah, they don't care so about you. So they're definitely not paying attention to the Easter egg. No. No. Yeah, it'll be something for them to discover in their 40s <laughs> when, when you're a grandmother, Megan. Anyway, um, let, let's talk about some of the other things. So the the tailgate has kind of got some cool features, too. Yeah, so it's a damped aluminum three-position tailgate. And, you know, the three positions are fully down open and then fully closed up. And then there's also what we're calling a mid-gate position. And basically you loop the tailgate cables around some plastic cleats on the tailgate jam on the bed, and that holds the tailgate at a 45-degree angle. Because let's say you're working on a, on a home improvement project, you need to go get some plywood or some drywall, when you slide that sheet cargo into the bed of Gladiator, it actually has to sit on top of the rear wheel wells in the forward part of the bed. But that means there's nothing to support the back end of the sheet cargo until you put the tailgate in that mid-gate position. And then the tailgate's actually going to support the rear um, of that sheet cargo, the plywood, or whatever else you're hauling. And I like that because you could always have a piece of plywood in there, and then you could go to, for instance, uh, the garden home and garden store, fill the bed with soil, put the plywood on top and put plants on top of that. It's like, works like a shelf um, in yeah, the bed. Yeah, true. That's kind of a cool idea. As long as you don't pull away too fast and have the soil, the, all the soil spill out the back onto the road, which, you know, <laughs> yeah, right. knowing the way that Megan drives, that could easily happen. Uh, you just got to be a little more controlled. Um, a lot <laughs> of tech on the inside. My favorite part is this Bluetooth speaker that you have that you can actually submerge in water. So you can take the speaker out of the car and actually put it underwater for like, 30 minutes and it'll still work yeah correct and that's you know that's something brand new in the industry nobody else has ever done a removable bluetooth wireless speaker and uh, we've got it nicely integrated into the truck there's a docking station behind the rear seat and when that speaker is in the docking station it's going to recharge if needed and then when you take it out you can treat it just like any other bluetooth wireless speaker except this one as you mentioned is pretty darn tough and rugged um, you can submerge it in uh, three feet of water for up to 30 minutes, and it also has the electronics industry's highest rating uh, for dust protection, which is pretty cool. And then behind the rear seats, you can also actually lock the rear seats with the car key to stop them being folded down, and then you have uh, storage containers behind them, which are sort of I guess, like a safe because you can lock stuff in. Correct, yeah, because you know, Gladiator is the only open-air pickup truck in the market, 
And when you've got a vehicle, you can take off the doors and take off the top. You know, it leaves you wanting space to secure your valuables. If you're out um, hiking or kayaking, you're probably going to want to leave things like your wallet and your phone behind. We've got tons of lockable storage on Gladiator. Um, we've got standard locking storage behind the rear seat, and we've also got an available locking storage bin underneath the seat as well. Uh, can you remove one of those? I think I think that was one of the features, isn't it? You can take one of them out, like the ones that are under the seat. You can take it away with you? Correct, yeah. So the, the available lockable bin is actually held to the floor with four bolts, and you just take out those four bolts that are located you know, inside the bin, and then the whole bin comes out. And we actually designed the carrying handle right into the bin just to make removal and installation very easy. And we even included we even include a Torx kit, a little tool kit in every single Gladiator um, with a socket and some Torx bits to not only take out that bin, but also take off the doors and the top and fold down the windshield, too. Yeah, doors and windshield off. That's definitely a Texas outdoor weekend. Uh, the the you know the tech's great. You have the, the the big Uconnect screen on the inside. You have all that tech inside the vehicle. Uh, engine wise, uh, I know there's a diesel coming, right? But currently, you have what's being offered and what's ha- what's coming. So, what's now and what's in the future? So, for the first model year for 2020, uh, we are going to have standard on every Gladiator our 3.6 liter V6, and that can be paired with either a six-speed manual or the eight-speed automatic. Uh, my personal favorite is the six-speed manual. It's just a heck of a lot of fun to drive, uh, rowing through the gears. Um, and then next year in 2020, we're going to have available the three-liter eco diesel paired with the eight-speed automatic. So not only will you be able to get a deep truck, but also a truck with a diesel, which our enthusiasts have to go to crazy for. What about the hybrid, Brandon? Uh plans uh, right now. <laughs> just, uh, just the 3.6 and the uh, I wouldn't be doing my job if I wasn't beating you up. Where can people find out more? <laughs> um, they can go to deep.com. Don't go away. There's more to come with Nick Miles. Our auto expert will be right back. He's Nick Miles and this is our auto expert. Now, sometimes I get accused of overloading the show with too much Britishness, and today is going to be uh, it's going to be that kind of show, I'm afraid, Megan. Are you sure you can handle more Britishness? Yeah, I'm fine with it. <laughs> you're used to it by now, aren't could, you? Could we have like a dedicated Texas show? No, we, every time you're on, it's a dedicated Texas <laughs> show. From, I know, from right? Bring uh, it up like 10 times. When I told you this next guest was going to be on, you said you really like VW Golfs. Yeah, you know what? I just like Volkswagen. Uh, Mark Gillies from from Volkswagen, who is a fellow Englishman, would love to hear that. Uh, how how better could your uh, show interview be going than the co-host is already a Volkswagen fan, Mark? That's great news. Yeah, I like that. Uh, and and Mark will be happy to uh, get your son into a Volkswagen. He's he's good like that. Yeah. <laughs> I, well, I told you I was looking at the Jetta for Eden. Oh yeah, for your daughter. Yep. Um, I remember a lot of girls in college uh, had Jettas. It was the, it was the college girl car to drive. And the boys had golfs. When I was going into college, they had just brought back the Beetle back in like 1998. 1998. Oh, I was, no, 2000. Yeah, all right. So that was a lot of people were in Beatles. 1968 you went to college? What? No, no, that was you. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Mark, celebrating 45 years of the golf. Uh, that's quite, you know, we always think as the as we think of the Beetle as the sort of the famous long-term uh, VW. But golf's been around 
uh, probably a lot longer than most of our listeners. It's been almost as long as I have, actually. Um, yeah, no, I mean, it's, uh, everybody forgets that the you know, first one was produced in March 1974. Um, we've now sold over 35 million uh, in seven generations. And one of my favorite little fun facts is that uh, a golf has been ordered somewhere in the world every 41 seconds every day without interruption for 45 years. Wow. So it um, gives you an idea of how many have rolled down production lines in Puebla and Wolfsburg and uh, even uh, back in the day in Westmoreland in, uh, in the States. Wow. So it was made for the state. It was made in the states for a short time. Then it was. It was made uh, when it first appeared in the states. It was actually came out of the Westmoreland factory, um, and you know they actually did some some wacky things, like they they produced a pickup version of it um, out of that factory. Um, but it didn't. It only lasted for the for the Mark One. That's interesting. I, I remember when you rolled out. It must be two generations ago. Uh, you you brought all seven generations of the Golf uh, together, and we got to drive uh, some of them, some different uh, generations of them. And actually, it's really maintained true to its styling uh, from the very first one. It's still the Golf still looks like a Golf, whereas you can't. I mean, uh, the Beetle still looks like a Beetle, but there's a lot of cars that don't look anything like they did when they were in their first generation. So the design language has portrayed itself across generations, hasn't it? It has. I mean, if you look at you know other cars like Corollas, the Toyota Corollas that have been around for a long time, they're obviously completely different. But, you know, what we call the hockey stick, which is that rear pillar, is a very distinctive feature on a Golf. Um, and it's been maintained um, all the way through the first seven generations. So, you know, first car, a lot of people don't realize this was designed by Giorgetto Giugiaro, a famous uh, Italian designer from Ital Design, who also did cars like um, the Mangusta, for instance, when he was oh. at, at Gear. So, um, you know, it was designed by probably one of the greatest car designers of all time um, in Giugiaro. It, you know, Italian, Ital Design have done some amazing cars too, even, even some of the new ones that they're working on. Uh, Get Me Excited is a car company that have prolonged itself. Um, or a design company. Uh, let's talk a little bit about uh, the, you know the golf's what the golf's famous for because it was really uh, the probably the original hot hatch. Was there another hot hatch that was uh, that has the longevity of the golf? No, I think if you look at the GTI, you know it's pretty much the granddaddy of the hot hatch brigade. Um, you know, and the first one came out had a little bit more horsepower, sporty suspension, and you know GTI to me is like just such an iconic car. It's a great part of our history, but you know it's a great part of motoring history as well because it, it you know after that you've got things like the Peugeot 205 in Europe and pretty much every Honda Civic SI, all of those cars really owe their genesis back to the to the Golf. It's very simple formula take a regular car a bit more bit more pep proper gearbox um suspension tuning uh, a few exterior changes and you've got a car that could go and frighten people you know in in much more powerful more expensive machinery it makes me smile when you say frighten people because i think that's what i did to my mum the last time i gave her a ride in the gti she was like slow down uh one of the things that gti is sort of super famous for too is it doesn't it sort of didn't beat your wallet up when you bought one either i'm i harken back to some of the vehicles that aren't you know, hot hatches anymore. They've become hot sedans. But they fifty-five, seventy thousand dollars isn't much to spend for something that's sort of souped up. But the GTI has always been sort of a reasonable price tag as well. Yeah, I think so. I mean, if you look at the current car, it's priced. I think the base price is about twenty-eight grand. And you know, when you look at what you get in terms of performance and uh, equipment and all that kind of stuff, it, it's a, to me, it's a, a really good deal. I mean, obviously, I'm a Volkswagen guy, so I'm going to say that, but 
you know, to me, um, you know, a lot of the value in the car market is in the sort of uh, compact area. You know, there's a huge amount of engineering goes into the cars, and and you don't really get a lot more. <clears throat> excuse me, when you know you go and buy a a, a car with a, a fancy badge on the front, basically, um, you know, you're, you're buying some some accoutrements and, and a fancy badge, but in terms of say performance and 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 the the level of equipment you get on a car for you know thirty thirty five thousand dollars these days, it's pretty impressive. Now, what's the future of the Golf? Because uh, you're, currently the uh, Beetle is being rested. Um, we're not sure what the future of that is, but the Golf seems to be quite quite uh, popular in many parts of the world still. Oh, it's hugely popular. I mean, it's it's kind of the soul of the Volkswagen brand, I think, if you think about it. So there will be a Mark 8 version of the Golf coming out. Um, we haven't announced exactly when it'll be, but... Um, it's not going to be far away. Um, you know, you'll see a, a, a new version of the Golf pretty soon, and pretty soon after that, you'll be seeing new versions of the, the Golf GTI and the Golf R. So the car, you know, it's it's got a long way to go yet. I think the Golf R, um, just to show how fanatical people are, I did a review of that probably seven years ago, and it still ranks in the top twenty of all my YouTube videos ever with the. Uh, I think a couple a couple uh, hundred thousand views. It's very very popular. People seem to like the the Golf R's as well, even if they they can't afford one because obviously it's highly engineered. It still seems to be one of the most popular cars. Where else in the world is the Golf sort of the a big hit apart from Europe and the United States? So there there countries in which the the Golf is kind of the core of the community. No, well, I don't know if it's core of the community, but I, I'd say you know in terms of enthusiasts. Um, you just have to look around the world. It was funny. I was in um, South Africa over Thanksgiving last year uh, playing boy races with an old race car, and um, I couldn't believe the number of Mark I GTIs and Mark I Golfs floating around um, uh, East London. Uh, Mark Gilly, it's always a pleasure to talk to you on our Auto Expert. If you want to see the latest offerings from VW, go to their website and and price yourself. I like to sometimes just go there and build cars. I have no intention of buying them. I'm just wasting my own time. More of Our Auto Expert with Nick Miles is on the way. Welcome to the Fast Lane. Our Auto Expert with Nick Miles continues. Bumper show today. Uh, we're covering everything. I, we didn't have a motorcycle segment. I guess we should do that. Uh, uh, we are talking uh, to David Lee. We've been talking about the uh, Bree new all-wheel drive Prius. And uh, now let's turn our sights to a vehicle which I really love. Uh, not that I don't love really? the all-wheel drive. I love the RAV4. I, I love didn't know that. the new RAV4. I think uh, what is it it, it'll that be, you love so much. It, uh, it'll be the best-selling vehicle in its It class, is the leagues, and it's like they threw the old RAV4 away in the trash, and they're like, we need a brand-new well, car. Well, it I is drove so it. beautiful, so much you nicer. You did, and nice. Da- David, is that right? Is it going to be the best-selling uh, vehicle in uh, best-selling vehicle in its class next no year? No pressure. The SUV? No pressure, yeah. No, no pressure, right? Yeah, actually, gang, it, it has been uh, the best-selling vehicle in its class for a bit nationally. And last year, it became the best-selling Toyota product nationally in the U.S. 
but once again, in our area here, where I'm currently working, it's been our bestseller for quite some time. Actually, I have to I have to it, tell it, you, it my things that are favorite about the, the Toyota that they're doing right now, and I just bought um, I just bought a new Lexus GX, so I'm in the family. But the thing the, the thing <laughs> I really anti-Toyota. like Toyota. <laughs> what Lexus is anti Toyota? Well, it's not Toyota. Yes, it is. Who owns Lexus? <laughs> oh, okay. It's Toyota. not Toyota, though. No. You know what I mean, David? No. David knows no. what I mean. No, it's upper class Toyota. <laughs> so, <laughs> so it's royalty. It's, it's the it's royalty, royalty of Toyota. Um, so, so I love, I love what Toyota are doing with design. So, one of the things is it's never been a fulfilling design company. They've never really tried to make vehicles that were outstanding. And then last year, you guys came out with that sand color mm-hmm. in your trucks. I love ah, that yeah. color. Quick, was it quicksand? Was it desert, called? Yeah, desert sand, quicksand, something to that effect. Yeah, yeah. So that I love that color. And then this year, as if they could do any more, they you guys came out with that concrete gray color and that which, blue. Uh, yeah, the gray blue. So you had that light blue in the the light gray blue in the t- uh, Tacoma that I had, and then that orange. Yeah, that's what I have. Right, and the yeah. orange on the inside of the Rav Four. So I had seen, it in that concrete bluey color, and then the orange on the interior. Oh, I want that car so Have badly. you seen the new blue that they have? Which is oh, the it's bright, like that bright, brand new bright blue. Yeah, that, uh, that was on the Tacoma TRD, yeah, the right? Tundra and the Tacoma and the Forerunner. It's yeah. all yeah. All well, there was a new color on the Rav Four that I drove out there, and I can't remember what it was called. It's kind of a greenish, frosted. Yeah, that's our Luna Lunar. Was it lunar or something or other? Forgive me. Colors is like the worst part of my my expertise. But, uh, you know, I, yeah. I will tell you, like colors, uh, you definitely that interior, the orange. Uh, a lot of times, so I really like the new Hyundai Kona, which uh, I've been driving, and they came out with that uh, lime twist, that bright lime color, like Ryan's headphones. Not that anybody can see that apart from me, but that sort of lime twist color. Who's and, Ryan? Uh, and then, <laughs> and then they came up with. Um, uh, several other really bright colors which i don't think i could have on a regular basis in my driveway i could i could i like the look of these cars i could see them on a showroom floor but i'm not sure i'd want to open my kitchen blinds and see it every day like this lime you know bright but yet the new toyota colors are subtle enough that they look really really cool and i could probably live them on a day-to-day basis so not that color is why people buy cars, maybe except for me, because I'm kind of weird. But uh, by buying, people are buying the RAV4 just purely because of its capability, right? Yeah, yeah. Real quick, too, that color is lunar rock, Megan. That was the right. stuff that we were talking about. And, Nick, if you want that orange interior, you want to get yourself an adventure grade, because that is the one that has that orange trim. I love it. For, yes, but, but for capabilities, really, that's where I think RAV has become a hit with the market. You know, as the market has shifted away from passenger cars, uh, we saw it overtake Camry at the end of 2018 in sales and outsold it by about 20,000 units. And we're seeing now that lead continue to expand. Uh, It it really is about the right size, configurability of the interior, uh, performance. Uh, As you said before, too, last year's generation or last the previous generation did not have the acceleration and handling as the current vehicle. So you, you get a lot of that same good utility but now you've got some performance too i think i was seriously trying to find things wrong with it like i uh, when i had the car to test drive and we, we shot the video i was trying to find things that were wrong with it and it was hard i mean i really had to be picky 
And to be honest with you, none of them would have stopped me buying it because I would buy it anyway. But uh, it was hard to find anything that, that, you know, the styling on the exterior is really great. The roominess, the seats are comfortable, the electronics, Safety Sense 2.0, right? That's This is the first SUV to get that? Uh, it's not our first SUV, but it it is something now that's become prevalent. Wait a second, for 2.0... Ooh, I'm trying to think if there's another one. I can't think. So it came in the uh, yeah. Corolla hatchback and the Avalon. Uh-huh. Oh, no, the That's Corolla right. hatchback, not the Avalon. Nope. And then I think this is the second vehicle released since yep. the Corolla hatchback. It is. I stand corrected. You're, you're on that. Yes, it is our first SUV to have the 2.0 version of TSS. Yes, it is. Yeah. And, uh, you got, and you guys added a lot more stuff to it, right? The panoramic sunroof, the rear vented seats, heated yeah, steering wheel. a lot of... Yes, a new technology. I think much better driver visibility, frankly, just just on the structure of the car. And then the cameras have been improved. Uh, the TSS 2.0 really helps. Uh, I can't wait. I, I get a car every six months. I have a summer and a winter car, and I'm going to get an XSE hybrid for this winter. I live up in the Rockies, and I, I'm going to take advantage. I would do, too, because uh, I think, Megan, did you enjoy driving it on ice? I did, yeah. And, and did it stop well? It, did, it stopped really well. I mean, you know, it, it just handles really well. It's funny though because during the during the briefing that they gave us, he mentioned that you wouldn't necessarily have off-roaded last year's Rav4 Adventure, but this one you could. Right. I totally off-roaded the one last year and it did fine. <laughs> did so. you tell Toyota when you borrowed it you were off-roading it? Don't don't tell us. <laughs> Just kidding. <laughs> Uh, uh, um, and and now, so what is the starting price of this? Because it's they're fairly reasonable if I looked at the base model. Yeah, if you go, you know, if you go front wheel drive, they're 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 down in the twenties, and then of course they go up as you go into all wheel drive and then into hybrids. But uh, an LE front wheel driver starts at twenty five five, and then they they go up from there. They top out at about forty, just under. And that's pretty packed with all the latest technology. Yeah, we we try to offer when we have a popular product like this, we do it with Camry also, right? We'll offer a wide palette of of standard equipment and features. Uh, to offer it up to a lot of market segments. It's our intention to have a broad appeal here. What What's the secret to a Toyota? Because uh, I purely bought my GX for the reason that I wanted it to last. I wanted to be able to start it every single time, and it wouldn't have an issue. I wanted to be able to sort of get in the garage after six months and you you know pile the dogs in the back and go to the dog park in the snow, and it would start every time. And that's something Toyota have been super, super famous for. We never suggest this, but you could almost go and not change your oil for 100,000 miles, and it would still start every time, right? Yeah, obviously, I, I, from my seat, I can't can't uh, assume that, but I can tell you this: uh, our what we call quality, uh, durability, reliability, or QDR, is probably our our number one buyer motivation in most segments. Our car buyers look at it just kind of how you said it, Nick, where they want to be able to buy their their passenger car and have it for a couple hundred thousand miles and do nothing but maintenance. It's funny though; you start getting into our truck owners like Tacoma and Tundra. The Tundra owner wants capability, towing and hauling and stuff, with that reliability. But a Tacoma owner who's more of an adventuresome driver, they they want their vehicle to get them there and back. And frankly, the number of miles they have on it is not that important. It's the fact that it will get there and back that's more important. So I, it changes. Yeah, and when I bought my my vehicle, um, you know, it had more miles on it than I was. I was looking for a vehicle under a certain amount of miles because it wasn't brand new. And the, the dealer told me, well, I actually have one of these, and, you know, mine has 300,000 miles on it. So he said, I wouldn't get too excited about it. <laughs> Which is great to hear a car can go that far, but uh, that's one of the things I always loved about these vehicles. That's why I think Ryan, you've had your you've had three or four Toyotas, haven't you? 
This is the first Mercedes I've ever had. Right, and you've had Toyotas before. And then. I'm getting rid of it. Are <laughs> you going back to Toyota? Just kidding. I'm getting a Wrangler. <laughs> <laughs> uh, um, that's funny. The, uh, the all right. So the Rav Four is on sale right now, uh, and we talked about uh, a little bit about uh, availability. So there, all the different models are out there, including a hybrid, right? Yeah, our hybrids have uh, just been hitting the ground here in the last month into this month. I'm out, out where I'm at. I'm still talking to some stores that don't have them, and I'm talking to some that are that are just getting them and. And initially, when they're getting them in, they're selling quickly. But that, that's to be expected with a brand-new product. But, yeah, everything should be available now. And the, what was the fuel economy on the hybrid? Because I remember reading that and going, what? Ooh, yes. In it fact, was, this is one where it's drastically different than the gas models. Yeah, it, it was. I think it was like um, 40 miles a gallon or 30, 37 miles a gallon or something. Uh, David, we've got to take a quick commercial break. We're going to do that. Thanks for joining us. You can find out more about the RAV4 and the Prius all-wheel drive by going to Toyota's website, toyota.com, or ourautoexpert.com. More of Our Auto Expert with Nick Miles is on the way. He's Nick Miles, and this is Our Auto Expert. Now, we invite him on the show every single week. He is our independent analyst and investor, Anton Warman, joining us. Uh, Anton, it's uh, you sent me a chart this week, which is very interesting, about three-row vehicle sales. And uh, there, there's quite a lot in different layers about these. Uh, if you look at there's uh, a few, at least three, maybe four new entries into the market. Yeah, so in the U.S. today, which is uh, almost a 17-million unit market, about 2 million of them are three-row SUVs. These are really the largest class of SUVs that are out there. Some are body-on-frame, some are unibody. And this market, uh, as we break down the sales uh, this year, particularly here in the month of March, from which uh, we have our very latest data, the those numbers are up about 13%, and being up 13% this year when the overall marketing is market is taking about a 2 or 3% beating is actually quite fantastic. So uh, digging deeper into the numbers, I saw that almost the entire increase here is actually caused by uh, just three all-new models that weren't even in the market a year ago. So those three vehicles are the Subaru Ascent, the BMW X7, and finally the um, Kia Telluride. These three vehicles are brand new for this March. We're not around March a year ago, and uh, they contributed significantly to the growth in this segment. And, of course, when it comes to Subaru, this brand has had no shortage of success over the last decade uh, in the United States. They've had 88 months of consecutive sales increases, and when they came out with their first really proper three-row SUV here recently, last uh, middle of 2018, there was almost no doubt that this vehicle would be a tremendous success. So no surprise it has risen to one of the top spots here. They're actually the sixth best-selling uh, three-row SUV here in March. And then when it comes to BMW, uh, as you may know, Mercedes has had that segment essentially by itself with the GLS uh, the three-row there that had no really counterpart on the BMW side. So with the BMW out here, it's uh, it's clear that it would do well. But then we have the Kia Telluride. And Kia, of course, it was not obvious to most people that Kia would really do well as it brought out a far more larger and more stately, more square, more expensive, almost, dare I say, a Range Rover look-alike 
three-row SUV, and uh, it turns out that it looks like they've done fantastically well here in March. They're, uh, they uh, sold over 5,000 of them, and that puts them in 12th place. That's uh, ahead of such stalwarts as uh, the GMC Yukon, the Infiniti QX60, the Nissan Armada, Buick Enclave, the Acura MDX, Volvo XC90, and a few others. So that's a very solid start for Kia here, and uh, I think that bodes well for uh, that brand here in the U.S. for the rest of the year. There is some interesting, glaring uh, information here, too. Uh, Disappointed to see at the very bottom of the table, 25th, the Land Rover Discovery. That seemed to be such an opportunistic vehicle. It is up 14%, but they really aren't selling huge amounts of them. No, and uh, keep in mind, though, that uh, if you look at where uh, that uh, vehicle starts in terms of price, I believe it starts around fifty-two, fifty-three $53,000. And, of course, the options list on a uh, Land Rover tends to be a little bit more um, interesting and generous than most of the sort of Japanese and Korean and other lower-priced vehicles. So when you're looking at the cost of these vehicles and their cost to insure them and the fuel economy and so forth, um, I don't think that it's entirely unsurprising to find at Land Rover closer to the bottom because it is a more expensive vehicle to purchase and to own than some of these other ones. I mean, if you look at the second best sellers, clearly the Toyota Highlander, the Ford Explorer, the Honda Pilot, and Chevy Traverse are the best sellers here. And uh, these are all vehicles that tend to start barely above the 30 thousand dollar thirty one or so thousand dollar mark before what can sometimes be pretty generous uh, dealer incentives so if we look at these numbers uh, for sales and, w- and we start to look down uh, Megan gets very excited when she sees number 11 which is the Dodge Durango which is the one you wanted isn't it Megan I want the Dodge Durango SRT oh, I bet you do I got to, I got to test drive it just for a few days I gotta say that is a sexy car like I have never felt sexier driving a car than I did in the Dodge Durango SRT. I mean, like, the power in that car. Uh, and that's probably exactly the opposite of Anton, I'll tell you, because it makes no sense whatsoever, right, Anton? It's uh, it's just purely a heart-throbbing car and, and doesn't make any financial sense to buy something that good. But well, let's put it this way. I'm on two minds about the Dodge Durango. Uh, actually, the base versions... All right, Anton Wallman, our independent investor and analyst seeking uh, alpha, is where you can read a lot of his stuff. Uh, He'll be back in a moment. I want to talk a little bit about uh, the, I guess, the tragic accident of a family going off a cliff in their uh, minivan, uh, which was reported this week, in which uh, they all uh, passed away. But uh, we discovered in the investigation of that that they got all the data from the crash out of the black box. Who knew cars had black boxes? We'll talk about that a little bit when we come back. More of Our Auto Expert with Nick Miles is coming up. He's Nick Miles, and this is Our Auto Expert. Welcome back to the show. Anton Wallman with us. He is our independent analyst and investor. Uh, We're talking about cars. So the the tragic report of the Hart family who went off the cliff in California and uh, unfortunately perished all eight members of the family. But the interesting thing to come out of this was when the California Highway Patrol and agencies did research into the accident, they got a lot of their data 
uh, not only from the cell phones of the individuals in the car, but from a black box which happened to be in this minivan. And that spawned the question around the newsroom here, is black boxes in minivans? Many people didn't know they existed, and many people didn't know that your vehicle records information about it. Megan's pointing to herself at this point. Is you, there a black box in my minivan? Uh, the, well, it's a 19, uh, 2007, so maybe not. But Anton, sure. uh, black boxes are not an unusual item to have in vehicles anymore, are they? No, they're not. And uh, they're, of course, very different degrees of uh, this type of uh, machinery that can go into a vehicle. At the most minimal scenario, you have a little black box that records you know, data that is uh, you know, happening before, say, a little crash. And then if there is a crash, you can physically remove this black box and then analyze it. And that is you know, often what happens in terms of an accident. You go and look there and say, well, did the driver brake? You know, did was there any uh, you know harsh steering input? You know, did was there a sudden acceleration? To look at all of those things, so that's one type of of monitoring. But then you have this active monitoring that is now looking to become more and more uh, prevalent in at least some cars, and certainly if you look down the road here over the next two, three, four, five years, is going to apparently become far more prevalent in, in automobiles, and that is that why even though there's no accident whatsoever, the card will record data and then send this data up, sometimes in real time, sometimes in batches, uh, maybe with the seconds, hours, uh, days, uh, minutes after this has occurred, and then God knows what happens with this data. Even though you may have done nothing wrong, uh, somebody or some computer somewhere will analyze all of this. And typically, this is all done for innocent purposes or or good purposes. Well, we want to make sure that uh, this person uh, to analyze how they drive so that we can better teach the car to do this or that or teach a self-driving program to emulate the driver as if many drivers should be emulated, right? Uh, so, but then that does not really close the question of what happens if the purpose of collecting this data shifts. I mean, we can count and, and keep track of people in all sorts of ways. We can implant a chip in them to make sure that they walk straight or, uh, you know, walk while they're not drunk or all of these things. But what if the government suddenly turns on you, either the government or the company that collects this data or the government ordering uh, the company that collects all of this data to deliver the information to them for not so benign purposes? And that's where you have to look a little bit beyond the bend here and see, well, surely if all data is collected for the most benign purposes, then, well, maybe a few lives here and there can be saved. But if, and that's a big, big if, this data is really collected only for these benign purposes. And uh, what if that uh, assumption changes one of these days? Yeah, maybe we need to have a law out there that exists that says if you change the uh, use of any data that you've collected, you automatically have to destroy it. So it has to be laid that out. That could very well be. That could very well be. But how do you then enforce that? I mean, let's say we always have like the dictator problem, right? You can say, well, all of these things in society that are maybe well-meaning in terms of what you can't or shouldn't do or what's possible to do. And all all of these things sound very well if you just assume that there is some benign entity at the other end of the wire or maybe the hard drive. Uh, but what if, uh, you know, the uh, proverbial uh, dictator regime in country XYZ, can you imagine what little Kim or uh, somebody else were to do with the data if they, uh, they got a, their hands on it? And uh, that's, you know, once the data has been collected and is stored somewhere, if there's a law that says that, well, you have to destroy this data, well, what if they just nullify that law and said, well, 
well, you know what? This whole idea about not using this data, eh, let's forget about that. I'll take that data anyway. Thank you. Then what happens? So it's very hard to put the mayo back in the tube if this data has once been collected. And I just think that there will be a market here in some point in the coming years for an automator, automaker to come out and say, look, we don't collect any data. We don't transmit any data. And the car doesn't receive any data either. And uh, for good or for bad or for worse, uh, we actually uh, we actually don't have a link between this automobile and the outer world. And uh, that is an option for you if you don't believe or you don't trust or you otherwise don't want this data to be collected, even though the stated purposes today are uh, very much uh, benign. I don't trust the government. So what I need to know is how to get that black box out of my car. <laughs> yeah, will you be yeah, able? Yeah, that's a tough part. The, the problem with some of these electronics is that once they put them in, it, it's almost not optional for the end user to realistically remove them. So I think that you know, so far, I think consumer awareness has been very poor in terms of these things existing or what they really do or or can do. But that probably won't last forever. So at some point, we will probably see some examples, maybe not from inside the United States, but maybe from some regime, you know. Putin uh, targeted his uh, little, uh, you know, regime critics uh, by, uh, uh, you know, remotely sending people over the cliff, you know, <laughs> you know, some of these examples. And then at some point, an automaker might say, you know what, maybe I can make some extra money here by offering a no cost option. The n- let's call it the no connectivity option is that this car doesn't collect any data. It doesn't send any data out of the car, and it doesn't receive any incoming commands from data from the outer world either. And therefore, you have a privacy car. At that point, I don't know what percentage of people would want a car like that. I would pay for that. A small yeah. percentage. Megan's already Maybe busting a out a checkbook. She's got a checkbook out right now on the, the desk. Inti- <laughs> I think the entire state of Texas would pay for that. Yeah, no, I, I, I'm kind of leaning toward the notion too that it, it's probably a healthy percentage. Um, I, you know, I, I, I say let the free market decide at that point. Let, let the automakers offer it, and let's see. Let's just see where you know. Let the chips fall where they may, and let's see how many people are are, are interested in that. And I think the, any automaker that doesn't offer this. It's pretty stupid, and I think that any automaker that is that is not right now as we speak already working on trying to come up with an offering of this nature is really missing out on a big opportunity. Just like Toyota became associated with uh, with um, uh, with hybrids by coming out for the Prius almost 20 years ago for the first time, uh, any automaker that comes out with this first and gets associated with it first may get a leg up on the competition and and could really be associated with being the uh, the privacy car if i were uh, head of product planning for an automaker I would totally jump out for this. It doesn't really cost anything if you think about it. Many options, many fancy things. That, oh, well, we can't offer this because uh, it increases the cost of the vehicle. And that's obviously understandable. You don't want to offer something where people have to pay more for something. But here, you're taking maybe a $50 modem out of the car. So actually, the cost of the vehicle might have gone down by by the cost of a dinner for two. Uh, or, or maybe you just offer it as a no-cost option saying, hey, you can buy this XYZ car with or without um, collecting, sending, or transmitting data. Uh, your choice, and now, let's see what happens. Now, I don't want the government tracking me or the car company, but but then I love the Chevy technology where I can track my teenager. Ah, uh, <laughs> oh, wait, she's good. Yes. What's good for the no, goose is not good for the gander. Yes. 
it, exactly. I, th- I think that's always a good point. We always right. uh, want to make sure that we can view into other people's lives, read other people's tax returns, read all their emails, and hack into their uh, data. But uh, God forbid it's the other way around. <laughs> that is the eternal dilemma. Is I, I will tell you, Anton, I was highly disappointed at CES during the Biden presentation in which they uh, went through so much. This you know, car, Chinese car company, autonomous electric car, they went through so much about how advanced this vehicle was and how all the data of the cameras inside and outside the vehicle will be collected, but it will be on these massive secure servers that nobody would have ever been able to access. And then you found out two things. A, the servers were in China, and B, the company is partially owned by the Chinese military. So ultimately, it's the intention of the individual company, right? Yeah, of course. No, I mean, these things are, I mean, it's a huge honeypot if you think about it. I mean, if you look at uh, what, a, what is a vehicle really but a large rolling sensor that drives around on the streets, uh, you know, basically can have cameras that can record everything around the vehicle, could certainly have microphones recording the voices of everybody, in not only inside the vehicle, but also within earshot outside of the vehicle. So, I mean, imagine just from a national security standpoint of any vehicle that's driving (laughs) around near, let's say, a military base or somebody who works at a military base. So it's just walking around having a conversation with somebody, and then a vehicle just drives right by on the street and is able to essentially listen to this conversation. I mean, the national security implications for the data collection abilities by these sensors, both cameras and and voice recording of of, of vehicles going forward, is just absolutely massive. If it makes you feel any better, your phone's already recording you. Yeah. Megan's now. Uh, no, she's but that's now my point. I mean, like think corner. about this. Look, look, look at how we've, we, we, you know, we don't allow Chinese companies now to, you know, Huawei, ZTE, whatever, to install a telecom equipment among the large carriers in the United States. AT and T, Verizon. I mean, AT and T and Verizon. They've essentially stopped offering uh, Chinese phones. I mean, Good. people are so afraid of what is really going on in these things that. They, they, this is becoming the, one of the most severest form of national security issues around, and it has not yet reached the debate what this means in terms of the automobile, but believe me, it is coming. And you pointed out, uh, Nick, the exact uh, good example here, which is kind of the scenario that Biden has laid out, and I think that this is going to be a, a source of a very robust debate over the next uh, couple of years. Uh, this is one of the reasons that car companies at some point refuse to have uh, Apple CarPlay and Android Auto in their vehicles because the phone is just yet another accessory that can record information that's going on in the car and pass it back to a third party, right? Yeah, well, I think here the the, the, the car companies were very suspicious of, 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 um, of Apple and Google here in terms of what was going to happen, but I think they actually came up with a pretty elegant solution, and that is that uh, it's really is you already bring your phone into the car anyway, and you have a choice to turn off your phone anyway time, which is why this thing, I mean, you, you, you know, the phone doesn't drive you around, right? As you could, and if, if we enter World War III or whatever, you can literally turn off your phone. If you want it, this thing will not bring you any harm. But when you plug the phone here into your car, what Android Auto and Apple CarPlay do, it's really the only service, like, it's like adding a monitor to your PC. It just brings up the ability for you to see a, a subset of what goes on on your phone 
in a way that essentially just makes you a safer driver, which is you don't not you know, you don't hold a small screen in your hand and look to the side, but rather you can look up on a screen which is far more ergonomic and and better uh, suited to. Uh, interact with while you're actually driving the vehicle. So I, I think that they actually got over some of those concerns, and that's why all the automakers have now uh, embraced it, or at least, uh, you know, was a way for them to, to end up embracing Android Auto and Apple CarPlay as a, uh, as a solution that they all favor now. I swear you just gave me a reason why I now love my minivan, because apparently there's no black box in it. Yeah, I think Chevrolet, I, I talked to a journalist who was pretty surprised he did an inter- interview with Chevrolet, and uh, he had been driving a Chevrolet car, and during the interview, the uh, person he was talking to was bringing up his driving habits in the car uh, for that week, and you know he had four instances of hard braking, you know, one acceleration, etc. So those are the things the car companies, of course, insurance companies have always been looking at that, and they, they want you to agree to have a black box inside of your car as well. Uh, so they, they can make sure that uh, you're a good driver. Because let's be honest with you, if you're a bad driver, the last thing you want to do is share that information. Uh, it We're all, you know, we're all relatively uh, aware. Everyone thinks they're a good driver, though. I have That's a, a problem. Well, of course, 80% of people think it's the everyone else that is the bad drivers in the world. The and Vol- That was a study from Volvo, by the way. Uh, Anton, I would say that I have a friend that works in the uh, NSA, and I asked him directly, I said, you know, are you recording my phone conversations? And he said, uh, if you think we're interested in you, it's a zero. We haven't got time to be bothered. It's, there's algorithms that check all those things. Uh, we know who we're interested in, and I can assure you, you're not on the list. So uh, that got me off the list. But however, Anton, you may be on the list. Yeah, we all are after this conversation. <laughs> uh, let's Yeah, talk. I was going to say, we're, 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 none of us is on that list until we are. Right. That's yeah. the simple fact. None of us is on the list until somebody says, well, you know, maybe, just maybe. So that's the problem. We've that's managed the problem. to we managed to freak out the entire radio audience. All right, you're listening to Our Auto Expert. The podcast is uh, at ourautoexpert.com, as well as all the latest articles and uh, information. You can go see some of our TV videos. Please go friend us on all the social medias. We'd like to be your friend, and uh, we'll feed you. Uh, conspiracy theories as Megan chokes to death in the side of the studio. Uh, Coming up, uh, there's more great stuff on this radio station. And don't forget to listen to our podcast.